0: I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Romans chapter twelve for our Bible study this morning. Romans chapter twelve. We're in a series that I sort of segued from a world, uh, having a Christian worldview, to that which I believe can impede the way we look at life through the eyes of the Scripture and through the leading of the Holy Spirit. There is a sin that is a devastating sin to an individual or to a church. It's a very subtle sin. It's one that we don't talk a lot about. It's one that you seldom hear hear anyone, if ever, confess that they have. But it is the sin of pride. And I want you to know that as we study these biblical truths... I'm sort of weaving a a web that's going to eventually in the next week or two. I want to tie all of this together to help you see how detrimental this subtle sin can be in the life of a believer, the life of a church, and how it can keep lost people from trusting Jesus as their personal Savior. The devastating consequences of the sin of pride. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, we've already been studying verse 1 and 2. But in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul said, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So I want you to put that phrase sort of in the pocket of your mind for right now uh, where Paul is, is warning us not to think of ourselves more highly than we should. And I want you to go to 1 John chapter 2, and that's over close to the book of Revelation, First, Second, Third John, and the second chapter. And look, if you will, in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, one of the things that, that we talked about already is what pride is not. Before we can understand what pride is, We need to understand what pride is not. And I said in an earlier message, pride is not self-esteem. We're to have a healthy self-esteem as believers. It is not confidence. Uh, I believe Christians ought to have confidence, not in themselves, but in God's working in and through their lives. So it's not just a sense of self-esteem. It's not just a sense of confidence. It's not just receiving expressions of gratitude and honor that may be bestowed upon you. I believe that's certainly appropriate. It's not satisfaction in a job well done because we're to have a good work ethic and we're to do our best in everything that God calls us to do and we're to do it as unto the Lord. So it's not its not those things. When I'm talking about pride, I'm talking about something else. Uh, in fact, we, we identified what the Bible means whenever it's speaking about this kind of pride that can be a detriment to your relationship with the Lord. It's really an attitude of, that is independent from God. It's going through life, not acknowledging God. It's an independent attitude. We talked about that in our last message. It's an attitude of ingratitude. It's it's the attitude which does not acknowledge that God is the ultimate giver of all things. It's that attitude that we want to go through life just doing it our way. If it feels good, do it. You know, you only go around in life, you only go through life once, you might as well get all the gusto you can. It's that that worldly attitude that is sort of independent that God is not involved in our daily affairs. It's going through life making decisions, whether it's in your personal life, your family life, your business life, your church life, where you go through life making decisions, making choices without praying, without seeking God's will, without seeking God's divine guidance, because it manifests itself as I don't need God. I I can handle this. Paul said, Don't let a man think more highly of himself. Than he ought. It's a good admonition for all of us. I'm reminded of a story I heard many uh, years ago about Muhammad Ali, and uh, this was back sort of in the heyday of his fame. And uh, he was on he was on a plane. He was uh, he was sitting in first class on a on a commercial jet. And the stewardess to, uh, had asked everybody to buckle their seat belts, and it was apparent that Muhammad Ali had not. Now, I don't know if this is a true story or not. I've heard it several times, and it's always been told to me as a true story, so I can only assume that it is, but it, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. <laughs> but but the, the stewardess came, as the story goes, to Muhammad Ali and uh, said, Mr. Uh, Muhammad, we cannot take off until you Buckle your seatbelt. All passengers have to buckle their seatbelt. Muhammad Ali said to the stewardess, ma'am, you know who I am? She said, yes, I do. He said, well, you need to understand Superman don't need no seatbelt. She looked at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane. Either buckle up or get off. (laughs) Don't let a person, the Bible says, think more highly of themselves than they should. So what, what is this attitude of pride? Well, it's an attitude of independence from God. It's an attitude of ingratitude. It's an attitude of comparing ourselves with other people. You know, we have a tendency, there's something where people have a tendency, they want to measure themselves as though their own esteem matters in comparison to other people. That is an issue of pride. Have you ever heard someone say, well, all my friends are doing it. Or I'm as good as so and so and and they're, they're a Sunday school teacher at the church or they sing in the choir. Or they're a deacon. It's amazing how we can go through life and we measure our worth and our obedience to the Lord how we compare and how we compare to other people. And God is not going to judge us by how we outperform somebody else. And that attitude is the product of a proud heart. Constantly, you know, trying to stay ahead of somebody else we take pride if we have if we feel that we have more than someone else if we have a nicer automobile bigger house a better job whatever comparing ourselves to someone else I, I, I'm sure I told you about the two guys that were out in the woods hiking in a And a bear started chasing them. And uh, it was apparent the bear was going to attack them. And they started running with all their might. They were running side by side, trying to get away from the bear. And one of the guys started kicking his shoes off. And his friend looked over at him and said, Why are you taking your shoes off? There's no way we can outrun this bear. And his friend said, Well, I'm not interested in outrunning the bear. I just want to outrun you. But that's how some of us go through life. We just want to stay ahead of somebody else. And I'll tell you another attitude of pride, how it's manifested itself. Uh, There's some people who who they sort of secretly gloom and, and complain and despair because they don't have as much as their neighbor and they're always sort of putting themselves down and they think they're they think they're being humble and the truth is that's just really a manifestation of pride when any time you go through life comparing yourself with somebody else it's almost like we, we stretch, we find, we find people that are just, you know, living horrible and we say, well, I'm better than they are. It's like we, we're supposed to lay down in a gutter and stretch ourselves out alongside somebody else So well, I'm longer than he is. I'm, I'm taller, I'm bigger, I'm, you know, I, I'm comparing myself to the worst of the worst. You know, that Paul said, we are to be content in whatsoever state we find ourselves. Contentment is a wonderful thing. In fact, you know, Paul had this attitude. He said in Philippians 121, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he said, you know, I'm going to be content in Christ as long as I live, and then when I die, I'll be content in Christ in heaven, and that'll even be better, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let me show you something else, he he said. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and let me just show you the kind of attitude that that I like. I, I just like Paul's attitude here. Because really, when you get down to it, pride is, is an issue of the heart, but it also manifests itself in an attitude. So I'm really talking about an attitude right here. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul, he, he made this is a verse of contrast. He, he makes statements and he puts them in juxtaposition to other statements that he makes, but it's a wonderful attitude. He said as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. You know, the devil could not get a hold of Paul's attitude because the devil would come along to the apostle Paul and I can just imagine the devil and Paul having this conversation. Paul, if you will follow me, I will give you everything you want. Man, I'll make life wonderful for you. I'll give, I'm the prince of this world, I'll give it to you. And I can imagine Paul saying, devil, you don't have anything to offer me. Jesus has already blessed me. He's already given to me all that I could ever imagine, exceedingly above and beyond my imagination." It may appear to you I have nothing, but I possess all things. I can imagine the devil saying, well, Paul, if you don't follow me, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to take everything away from you. And I imagine Paul saying, well, devil, there's, I don't have anything for you to take. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. I've given it all to Jesus. I, 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 I possess nothing. And I can imagine the devil saying, "Paul, if you if you don't serve me, then I'll just kill you." And Paul would say, "Well, you know that'd be okay too, because you know, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. I mean, it didn't matter which way you would turn. The Apostle Paul, uh, he'd always land on his feet. It was like heads I win, tails I win. (laughs) He just had this attitude." So so pride is not just a matter of wanting more. It's a matter of wanting more than somebody else. It's an independent, unsubmissive spirit. It's seeing yourself as the source of all things that you have or have achieved. It's measuring yourself alongside others. That's that's what pride is. But now let me show you what pride does does and God's attitude about this. We looked at this verse very briefly uh, but I want you to go to the book of Proverbs because we're going going to just see there's a lot of wisdom in Proverbs and I want you to see what God says about this particular sin so go to Proverbs chapter 6 and I want you to look in verse 16 it says these six things doth the Lord hate, yea seven are an abomination unto him now guys I didn't give you verse 17 but go ahead and put verse 17 on, on, on the screen uh, verse 17, the very first thing in the list of things that God hates. The Bible says, these six things do, does the Lord hate. And uh, you can just read it in your Bibles, but verse 17 says, the very first words is the, a proud look. A proud look. The Bible says God hates This sin. We think of God as a God of love and he is but, but these are some things that the Bible says and so you know it's got to be serious if the Bible says God hates this. While you're in Proverbs go to chapter 16 and verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Wow! Now, folks, we just read two things that I think ought to make us want to know a little more about how this sin manifests itself. Because we, I, I would hope, in, that none of us would want to be guilty of this. Because the Bible says God hates it, and here we've just read that it is an abomination. To the Lord. Those are pretty strong words. Now, why does God feel this way about this sin? Of all the sins, I mean, all the sins that we could commit, sins of attitude, sins of action, why the sin of pride? Does the Bible say God hates it and it's an abomination to the Lord? Because if He takes it this serious, we certainly should take it serious, right? Well, let me share with you a couple of of thoughts about that. Did you know that the devil, and all of us do recognize that, you know, the devil is, is the author of sin. Did you know it was the sin of pride that made the devil the devil? Did you know it was that sin You see, if there had been no pride, it's possible there would be no devil. God did not create the devil. God created Lucifer. And Lucifer became the devil. But when God created Lucifer, he was the most glorious being God ever created. The Bible says he was full of wisdom. And he was full of beauty. As a matter of fact, let me read to you. Keep your hand in Proverbs because we'll come back. But, but I want you to look in, Ecclesi- uh, pardon me, in Ezekiel uh, chapter 28. Um, and Ezekiel chapter 28. And I want you to look in verse 15. If you don't have time to find it, maybe it'll be on the screen. Um, But this is what what the Bible says about Lucifer. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. God said he was perfect. He was in all of his ways until iniquity was found in, in him. Well, what was the iniquity that was found in him? Well, look in Verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up. I'm in Ezekiel 28, verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Lucifer, he became enamored with himself. He became proud. His heart was lifted up. It was pride that made the devil the devil. But but now, look what it did to the human race. Look what it has done to us. Because did you know that every one of us sitting here this morning are suffering the consequences of this sin? Because we don't have time to turn there, but you know the story in the book of Genesis. Because the devil, pride was the bait on the hook that the devil used to seduce Adam and Eve. It was not the beauty of the fruit by itself that caused the fall of man, that caused Adam and Eve to sin. Garden of, the Garden of Eden was the most beautiful place a person could ever inhabit. Beauty was all around Adam and Eve. It wasn't just beauty of the fruit. It wasn't the aroma, just the aroma of the fruit. The Garden of Eden was probably filled with lush vegetation, the flora and fauna. You know... That's one of the things. One of the most, I guess, probably one of the prettiest places I've ever been on Earth, as far as just the beauty of, of, of it, was Hawaii. And I'll never forget. I was surprised when I got there. I thought I was going to like the beach, the water, the you know the temperature, the surf, and everything. But, I, you know, we had always wanted to go. Finally, was able to scrape together enough pennies that that we could go to this place, and and we went, and. My first impression was the aroma and the flora and the fauna of the islands. There's some, it just, it's a fragrance because there's flowers all over the place in it. And it wasn't the beauty of the Garden of Eden that caused Adam and Eve to sin. It wasn't the aroma of the fruit It wasn't even that the fruit was more delicious than any other fruit. I mean, the Garden of Eden was full of delicious fruit. What was the bait that the devil used? Well, he came to them and he said, Do you want to be like God? Do you want your eyes to be open to know good from evil? You know, God's keeping something from you, and if you'll eat this fruit, your eyes will be open. You will be like God. Oh, it was that that appeal to their pride. We'll be like God. So what have we just discovered? Number one, that it was pride that made the devil the devil. Number two, it was the pride that caused the fall of the human race. That's why God says, I hate the sin of pride. It's an abomination unto me. It was the sin of pride that ushered sin into the world. and I want you to think about that. Everything that's tragic in our lives, pain, any of you hurt this morning? You don't have to raise your hand. But, but any, any of you have pain? Let me tell you, the, the, the root of pain was, you see, we didn't have pain until sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, it affected God's creation. It impacted the human race. You, you know, If you've got pain this morning, you need to be mad at the sin of pride because that was the bait, that was the temptation that the devil gave to Adam and Eve. Anybody here got sorrow? Anybody here grieving over anything? Loss of a loved one? A a broken relationship? Wayward children? Anybody got sorrow? Anybody struggling with a sin? You see, sin, sorrow, pain. Have you ever had death in your family? A parent, a grandparent, a child, a sibling? I mean, any kind of death. My soul, I'm still grieving over the death of a pet. Death. Death. There would be no death. There would be no sorrow. There would be no pain. There would be no temptation to sin. There would, would, those things that plague us day in and day out. In fact, we very well may still be in the Garden of Eden. God had a plan and a purpose and the devil came along and he knew that there would be an appeal to a proud heart. That's why God hates it. And, and you know, the f- interesting thing is, is, is the devil so twists and perverts things that I, I have seen people who have gone through life and they've experienced, and all of us have to some degree, we've experienced where things didn't go the way we thought they should go. Where, where someone that we had hoped would live, had, they died. Whether some infirmity that we thought we might could avoid, we, we, we got it, we didn't. And and I've known some people to get mad at God. Whenever they've had hardship, whenever they've had tragedy, whenever they've had sorrow, whenever they've had pain, I have known some people to ball their fist in the face of God and say, if not literally but figuratively, God, why did you let this happen to me? And I want you to know God's not the enemy. Sin is the enemy. Sin and the devil uses the sin of pride to distort not only our worldview but our God view. It strikes this sin at the very heart of God. It rebels against deity. It flies in the face of his righteousness. It thumbs its nose at his holiness and it laughs and mocks at the Godhead. And when haughtiness and arrogance and comparison with others is a way of life, when a proud look has settled upon your countenance. A, just a proud look, the Bible says. God, the Bible says, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. Number one on the list, a proud look. Just the attitude and the countenance and disposition. Listen, if you get to that place, God will not help you. Till you repent. He, in fact, he'll become your adversary, and I'm not just making that up. The Bible says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Sometimes following Jesus is just a simple act of humility. In fact, Jesus said that if we come to him, you know what he said? We have to humble ourselves like a child. I love when our boys and girls give their heart to Jesus. Today was an exciting day for Hadley and her family. I've shared that excitement with many of your children and many of your families. I love it. They come bebopping down this aisle to give their heart to Jesus. They don't care what anybody thinks. They're not ashamed. In fact, they're excited about it. There's some people who sit back and say, Well, what, you know, the older we get, well, what will people think about me? Wonder what others will say. I'm too embarrassed. I tell you what, if it wasn't for the sin of pride, sometimes a team of wild horses wouldn't keep you from giving your heart to Jesus, but that little sin of pride would keep you from doing what you know in your heart you need to do. In just a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And if there's someone that would like to come, we ask you just to come and share that with us so that we can pray with you. And, you know, I've always believed if you're ashamed to take a stand Jesus in the church where people's going to love you and encourage you and affirm you you'll never be able to take a stand for Jesus in the world so that's why we offer this public invitation if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior to follow him in believers baptism maybe you've already been saved and you've not yet been baptized or if your membership is somewhere else and God is leading you to unite with our fellowship however the Lord may lead you that's what we are inviting you to do in just a moment I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing That'll be our invitation. Heavenly Father we commit now these moments to your hands and we just pray Lord that you'd help us to be sensitive whenever the enemy comes our way and we're not being obedient to you and maybe we think it's this reason or that reason but it could just simply be that that there's pride in our hearts that we have a better way than your way I pray that all of us would daily evaluate our walk with you and walk humbly in your presence. We ask you now to bless these moments of invitation if people need to respond, that they would come unashamedly. We ask this in Jesus' name.